Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, and today, chapters 4, 5, and 6, from the Mark of Zorro. And now, chapter 4, Swords Clash, and Pedro Explains. Gonzalez whirled at the word, and his blade came up. He saw that Signor Zorro had drawn his sword, and that he was holding the pistol in his left hand high above his head. Moreover, Signor Zorro was chuckling still, and the sergeant became infuriated. The blades clashed. Sergeant Gonzalez had been accustomed to battling with men who gave ground when they pleased and took it when they could, who went this way and that seeking an advantage, now advancing, now retreating, now swinging to left or right as their skill directed them. But here he faced a man who fought in quite a different way, for Signor Zorro, it appeared, was as if rooted to one spot and unable to turn his face in any other direction. He did not give an inch, nor did he advance, nor step to either side. Gonzales attacked furiously, as was his custom, and he found the point of his blade neatly parried. He used more caution then, and tried what tricks he knew, but they seemed to avail him nothing. He attempted to pass around the man before him, and the other's blade drove him back. He tried to retreat, hoping to draw the other out, but Signor Zorro stood his ground and forced Gonzales to attack again. As for the highwayman, he did not except put up a defense. Anger got the better of Gonzales then, for he knew the corporal was jealous of him, and that the tale of this fight would be told to all the Pueblo tomorrow, and so travel up and down the length of El Camino Real. He attacked furiously, hoping to drive Signor Zorro off his feet and make an end of it, but he found that his attack ended as if against a stone wall. His blade was turned aside, his breast crashed against that of his antagonist, and Signor Zorro merely threw out his chest and hurled him back half a dozen steps. "'Fight, Signor,' Signor Zorro said. "'Fight yourself, cutthroat and thief,' the exasperated sergeant cried. "'Don't stand like a piece of the hills, fool. "'Is it against your religion to take a step?' "'You cannot taunt me into doing it,' the highwayman replied, chuckling again. "'Sergeant Gonzales realized then that he had been angry, "'and knew an angry man cannot fight with the blade "'as well as a man who controls his temper. "'So he became deadly cold now, and his eyes narrowed.' and all boasting was gone from him. He attacked again, but now he was alert, seeking an unguarded spot through which he could thrust without without courting disaster himself. He fenced as if he'd never fenced in his life before. He cursed himself for having allowed wine and food to rob him of his wind. From the front, from either side, he attacked, only to be turned back again, all his tricks solved almost before he tried them. He had been watching his antagonist's eyes, of course, and now he saw a change. They had seemed to be laughing through the mask, and now they had narrowed and seemed to send forth flakes of fire. "'We've had enough of Blaine,' Signor Zorro said. "'It's time for punishment.' And suddenly he began to press the fight, taking step after step, slowly and methodically going forward and forcing Gonzales backward. The tip of his blade seemed to be a serpent's head with a thousand tongues. Gonzales felt himself at the other's mercy, but he gritted his teeth, "'and tried to control himself, and fought on. "'Now he was with his back against the wall, "'but in such a position that Signor Zorro could give him battle "'and watch the men in the corner at the same time. "'He knew the highwayman was playing with him. "'He was ready to swallow his pride "'and call upon the corporal and soldiers to rush in and give him aid. "'And then there came a sudden battering at the door, "'which the native had bolted. "'The heart of Gonzales gave a great leap. "'Somebody was there, wishing to enter.' 
whoever it was, would think it peculiar that the door was not thrown open instantly by the fat landlord or his servant. Perhaps help was at hand. The highwayman said, I regret it, for I will not have the time to give you the punishment you deserve, and will have to arrange to visit you another time. You scarcely are worth a double visit. The pounding at the door was louder now. Gonzales raised his voice. Ha! Ah, we have Signor Zorro here! Poltroon! the highwayman cried. His blade seemed to take on a new life. It darted in and out with a speed that was bewildering. It caught a thousand beams of light from the flickering candles and hurled them back. And suddenly it darted in and hooked itself properly, and Sergeant Gonzales felt his sword torn from his grasp and saw it go flying to the air. So! Signor Zorro cried. Gonzales awaited the stroke. A sob came into his throat that this must be the end instead of on a field of battle where a soldier wishes it. But no steel entered his breast to bring forth his life's blood. Instead, Signor Zorro swung his left hand down, passed the hilt of his blade to it, and grasped it beside the pistol's butt, and with his right he slapped Pedro Gonzales once across the cheek. "'That's for a man who mistreats helpless natives,' he cried. Gonzales roared in rage and shame. Somebody was trying to smash the door in now. But Signor Zorro appeared to give it little thought. He sprang back and sent his blade into its scabbard like a flash. He swept the pistol before him and thus threatened all in the long room. He darted to a window, sprang upon a bench. Until a later time, Signor, he cried. And then he went through the window as a mountain goat jumps from a cliff, taking its covering with him. In rushed the wind and rain, and the candles went out. After him! Gonzales screeched, springing across the room and grasping his blade again. Unbar the door! Out and after him! Remember, there's a generous reward! The corporal reached the door first and threw it open. In stumbled two men of the Pueblo, eager for wine and an explanation of the fastened door. Sergeant Gonzales and his comrades drove over them, left them sprawling, and dashed into the storm but there was little use in it. It was so dark a man could not see a distance of a horse's length. The beating rain was enough to obliterate tracks almost instantly. Signor Zorro was gone, and no man could tell in what direction. There was a tumult, of course, in which the men of the Pueblo joined. Sergeant Gonzales and the soldiers returned to the inn to find it full of men they knew. And Sergeant Gonzales knew, also, that his reputation was now at stake. "'Nobody but a highwayman, nobody but a cutthroat and thief would have done it,' he cried aloud. "'How is that, brave one?' cried a man in the throng near the doorway. "'This pretty Signor Zorro knew, of course. Some days ago I broke the thumb of my sword hand while fencing at San Juan Capistrano. No doubt the word was passed to the Signor Zorro. And he visits me at such a time that he may afterwards say he had vanquished me.' The corporal and the soldiers and the landlord stared at him, but none was brave enough to say a word. "'Those who were here could tell you, Signores,' Gonzales went on. "'This Signor Zorro came in at the door and immediately drew a pistol, devil's weapon, from beneath his cloak. He presents it at us and forces all except me to retire to that corner. But I refuse to retire.' "'Then you shall fight me,' says this pretty highwayman, and I draw my blade.' "'thinking to make an end of the pest. "'And what does he tell me then? "'We shall fight,' he says, "'and I will outpoint you, "'so that I may boast of it afterward. "'In my left hand I hold a pistol. 
"'If your attack is not to my liking, I shall fire, "'and afterward run you through, "'and so make an end of a certain sergeant.' "'The corporal gasped, "'and the fat landlord was almost ready to speak, "'but thought better of it "'when Sergeant Gonzales glared at him. "'Could anything be more devilish?' Gonzales asked. "'I was to fight, "'and yet I would get a devil's chunk of blood in my carcass "'if I pressed the attack. "'Was ever there such a farce?' It shows the stuff of which this pretty highwayman is made. Some day I shall meet him when he holds no pistol, and then. But how did he get away? Someone in the crowd asked. He heard those at the door. He threatened me with the devil's pistol and forced me to toss my blade in yonder far corner. He threatened us all, ran to the window, and sprang through. How could we find him in the darkness or track him to the sheets of rain? But I am determined now. "'In the morning I go to my Captain Ramon "'and ask permission to be absolved from all other duty, "'that I may take some comrades "'and run down this pretty Signor Zorro. "'Ha! We shall go fox-hunting!' "'The excited crowd about the door suddenly parted, "'and Don Diego Vega hurried into the tavern. "'What's this I hear?' he asked. "'They are saying that Signor Zorro has paid a visit here.' "'Tis a true word, Caballero,' Gonzales answered. "'And we were speaking of the cutthroat here this evening.' "'Had you remained, instead of going home to work with your secretary, "'you should have seen the entire affair.' "'Were you not here? Can you not tell me?' Don Diego asked. "'But I pray you make not the tale too bloody. "'I cannot see why men must be violent. "'Where's the highwayman's dead body?' Gonzales choked. "'The fat landlord turned away to hide his smile. "'The corporal and soldiers began picking up wine mugs "'to keep busy at this dangerous moment.' He, uh, that is, there is no body, Gonzales managed to say. Have done with your modesty, Sergeant, Don Diego cried. Am I not your friend? Did you not promise to tell me the story if you met this cutthroat? I know you would spare my feelings, knowing that I do not love violence. Yet I am eager for the facts, because you, my friend, have been engaged with this fellow. How much was the reward? By the saints, Gonzales swore. "'Come, Sergeant, out with the tale. "'Landlord, give us all of wine "'that we may celebrate this affair. "'Your tale, Sergeant. "'Shall you leave the army, now that you've earned the reward, "'and purchase a hacienda, and take a wife?' "'Sergeant Gonzales choked again, "'and reached gropingly for a wine mug. "'You promised me,' Don Diego continued, "'that you would tell me the whole thing, word by word. "'Did he not say as much, Landlord?' "'You declared that you would relate how you played with him, "'how you laughed at him while you fought, "'how you pressed him back after a time, "'and then ran him through.' "'By the saints!' "'Sergeant Gonzales roared, "'the words coming from between his lips "'like peals of thunder. "'It is beyond the endurance of any man. "'You, Don Diego, my friend!' "'Your modesty ill becomes you at such a time,' "'Don Diego said. "'You promised the tale, and I would have it.' "'What does the Signor Zorro look like? "'Have you peered at the dead face beneath the mask? "'It is, perhaps, some man that we all know. "'Cannot some one of you tell me the facts? "'You stand here like so many speechless images.' "'Wine, now, or I choke!' Gonzales howled. "'Don Diego, you are my good friend, "'and I will cross swords with any man who belittles you. "'But do not try me too far this night.' "'I fail to understand,' Don Diego said. "'I have but asked you to tell me the story of the fight, "'how you mocked him as you battled, 
how you pressed him back at will, and presently ended it by running him through. Enough! Am I to be taunted? The big sergeant cried. He gulped down the wine and hurled the mug far from him. Is it possible that you did not win the battle? Don Diego asked. But surely this pretty highwayman could not stand up before you, my sergeant. How is the outcome? He had a pistol. Why did you not take it away from him then and crowd it down his throat? But perhaps that is what you did. Here is more wine, my sergeant. Drink. But Sergeant Gonzales was thrusting his way through the throng at the door. I must not forget my duty, he said. I must hurry to the Presidio and report this occurrence to the Commandante. But, Sergeant. And as to the Signor Zorro, he will be meat for my blade before I am done, Gonzales promised. And then, cursing horribly, he rushed away through the rain, the first time in his life he had ever allowed duty to interfere with his pleasure, and had run from a good wine. Don Diego Vega smiled as he turned toward the fireplace. We'll return with Chapter 5 of The Mark of Zorro, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 5, A Ride in the Morning. The following morning found the storm at an end, and there was not a single cloud to mar the perfect blue of the sky, and the sun was bright, and palm fronds glistened in it, and the air was bracing as it blew down the valleys from the sea. At mid-morning, Don Diego Vega came from his house in the Pueblo, drawing on his sheepskin riding mittens, and stood for a moment before it, glancing across the plaza at the little tavern. From the rear of the house, an Indian servant led a horse. Though Don Diego did not go galloping across the hills and up and down El Camino Real like an idiot, yet he owned a fairish bit of horseflesh. The animal had spirit and speed and endurance, and many a young blood would have purchased him, except that Don Diego had no use for more money and wanted to retain the beast. The saddle was heavy and showed more silver than leather on its surface. The bridle was heavily chased with silver, too, and from its sides dangled leather globes studded with semi-precious stones that now glittered in the bright sunshine as if to advertise Don Diego's wealth and prestige to all the world. Don Diego mounted, while half a score of men loitering around the plaza watched and made efforts to hide their grins. It was quite the thing in those days for a youngster to spring from the ground into his saddle, gather up the reins, rake the beast's flanks with his great spurs, and disappear in a cloud of dust all in one motion. But Don Diego mounted a horse as he did everything else, without haste or spirit. The native held a stirrup, and Don Diego inserted the toe of his boot. Then he gathered the reins in one hand and pulled himself into the saddle as if it had been quite a task. Having done that much, the native held the other stirrup and guided Don Diego's other boot into it, and then he backed away, and Don Diego clucked to the magnificent beast and started it at a walk along the edge of the plaza toward the trail that ran to the north. Having reached the trail, Don Diego allowed the animal to trot, and after having covered a mile in this fashion, he urged the beast into a slow gallop, and so rode along the highway. Men were busy in the fields and orchards, and natives were tending to the herds. Now and then Don Diego passed a lumbering carreta, and saluted whoever happened to be in it. Once a young man he knew passed him at a gallop, going toward the Pueblo, and Don Diego stopped his own horse to brush the dust from his garments after the man had gone his way. Those same garments were more gorgeous than usual this bright morning. A glance at them was enough to establish the wealth and position of the wearer. Don Diego had dressed with much care, 
admonishing his servants because his newest serapi was, was not pressed properly and spending a great deal of time over the polishing of his boots. He traveled for a distance of four miles and then turned from the high road and started up a narrow, dusty trail that led to a group of buildings against the side of a hill in the distance. Don Diego Vega was about to pay a visit to the hacienda of Don Carlos Pulido. This same Don Carlos had experienced numerous vicissitudes during the last few years. Once he had been second to none except Don Diego's father in position, wealth, and breeding. But he had made the mistake of getting on the wrong side of the fence politically, and he found himself stripped of a part of his broad acres, and tax-gatherers bothering him in the name of the governor, until there remained but a remnant of his former fortune, but all his inherited dignity of birth. On this morning Don Carlos was sitting on the veranda of the hacienda meditating on the times, which were not at all to his liking. His wife, Doña Catalina, the sweetheart of his youth and age, was inside directing her servants. His only child, the Senorita Lolita, likewise was inside, plucking at the strings of a guitar and dreaming as a girl of eighteen dreams. Don Carlos raised his silvered head and peered down the long, twisting trail, and saw in the distance a small cloud of dust. The dust cloud told him that a single horseman was approaching, and Don Carlos feared another gatherer of taxes. He shaded his eyes with a hand and watched the approaching horseman carefully. He noted the leisurely manner in which he rode his mount, and suddenly hope sang in his breast, for he saw the sun flashing from the silver on saddle and bridle, and he knew that men of the army did not have such rich harness to use while on duty. The rider had made the last turning now, and was in plain sight from the veranda of the house, and Don Carlos rubbed his eyes and looked again to verify the suspicion he had. Even at that distance, the aged Don could establish the identity of the horseman. "'Tis Don Diego Vega," he breathed. "'May the saints grant that here is a turn in my fortunes for the better at last. "'May the saints grant that here is a turn in my fortunes for the better at last. "'Don Diego, he knew, might only be stopping to pay a friendly visit, "'and yet that would be something, "'for when it was known abroad that the Vega family was on excellent terms with the Polito establishment, "'even the politicians would stop to think twice before harassing Don Carlos further, "'for the Vegas were a power in the land.' So Don Carlos slapped his hands together, and a native hurried off from the house, and Don Carlos bade him draw the shades so that the sun would be kept from a corner of the veranda, and place a table and some chairs, and hurry with small cakes and wine. He sent word into the house to the women, too, that Don Diego Vega was approaching. Doña Catalina felt her heart beginning to sing, and she herself began to hum a little song, and Senorita Lolita ran to a window to look out at the trail. When Don Diego stopped before the steps that led to the veranda, there was a native waiting to care for his horse, and Don Carlos himself walked halfway down the steps and stood waiting, his hand held out in welcome. "'I'm glad to see you a visitor at my poor hacienda, Don Diego,' he said, as the young man approached, drawing off his mittens. "'It is a long and dusty road,' Don Diego said. "'It wearies me, too, to ride a horse the distance.' Don Carlos almost forgot himself and smiled at that, for surely riding a horse a distance of four miles was not enough to tire a young man of blood. But he remembered Don Diego's lifelessness and did not smile, lest the smile cause anger. He led the way to the shady nook on the veranda and offered Don Diego wine and cakes and waited for his guest to speak. As became the times, the women remained inside the house, not ready to show themselves unless the visitor asked for them or their lord and master called. 
"'How are things in the Pueblo of Reina de los Angeles?' "'Don Carlos asked. "'It has been a space of several score days since I visited there.' "'Everything is the same,' said Don Diego, "'except that the Señor Zorro invaded the tavern last evening "'and had a duel with the big Sergeant Gonzales.' "'Ah, Señor Zorro, eh? "'And what was the outcome of the fighting?' "'Though the sergeant has a crooked tongue while speaking of it,' said Don Diego, "'it has come to me through a corporal who is present "'that this Señor Zorro played with the sergeant "'and finally disarmed him "'and sprang through a window to make his escape in the rain. "'They could not find his tracks. "'At least I have nothing to fear from him. "'It is generally known up and down El Camino Real, I suppose, "'that I have been stripped of almost everything "'that the governor's men could carry away. "'I look for them to take the hacienda next.' "'Such a thing should be stopped,' San Diego said, "'with more than his usual amount of spirit. "'The eyes of Don Carlos brightened. "'If Don Diego Vega could be made to feel some sympathy, "'if one of the illustrious Vega family "'would but whisper a word in the governor's ear, "'the persecution would cease instantly, "'for the commands of a Vega "'were to be made obeyed by all men of whatever rank. "'We'll return with Chapter 6, "'right after this sponsor message.' And now chapter six, Diego Seeks a Bride. Don Diego sipped his wine slowly and looked out across the mesa, and Don Carlos looked at him in puzzled fashion, realizing that something was coming and scarcely knowing what to expect. I did not ride to the damnable sun and dust to talk with you concerning the Señor Zorro or any other bandit, Don Diego explained after a time. Whatever your errand, I'm glad to welcome one of your family, Caballero. "'Don Carlos said. "'I had a long talk with my father yesterday morning,' "'Don Diego went on. "'He informed me that I am approaching the age of twenty-five, "'and he is of a mind that I am not accepting "'my duties and responsibilities in the proper fashion. "'But surely. "'Oh, doubtless he knows. "'My father is a wise man. "'And no man can dispute that, Don Diego. "'He urged upon me that I awaken and do as I should.' "'I have been dreaming, it appears. "'A man of my wealth and station, "'you will pardon me if I speak of it, "'must do certain things. "'It is the curse of position, Signor. "'When my father dies, "'I come into his fortune, naturally, "'being the only child. "'That part of it is all right. "'But what will happen when I die? "'That is what my father asks. "'I understand. "'A young man of my age, he told me, "'should have a wife, "'a mistress of his household.' "'and should, er, have offspring to inherit and preserve an illustrious name.' "'Nothing could be truer than that,' said Don Carlos. "'So I've decided to get me a wife.' "'Ha! It is something every man should do, Don Diego. "'Well do I remember when I courted Doña Catalina. "'We were mad to get into each other's arms, "'but her father kept her from me for a time. "'I was only seventeen, though, so perhaps he did right.' "'But you are nearly twenty-five. "'Get you a bride, by all means.' "'And so I have come to see you about it,' Don Diego said. "'To see me about it?' gasped Don Carlos, "'with something of fear and a great deal of hope in his breast. "'I will be rather a bore, I expect. "'Love and marriage and all that sort of thing "'is rather a necessary nuisance in its way. "'The idea of a man of sense running about a woman, "'playing a guitar for her, "'making up to her like a loon when everyone knows his intention. "'And then the ceremony. "'Being a man of wealth and station, "'I suppose the wedding must be an elaborate one, 
and the natives will have to be feasted, and all that, simply because a man is taking a bride to be mistress of his household. Most young men, Don Carlos observed, delight to win a woman, and are proud if they have a great and fashionable wedding. No doubt, but it is an awful nuisance. However, I will go through with it, senor. It is my father's wish, you see. You, if you will pardon me again, have fallen upon evil days. That is the result of politics, of course. But you are of excellent blood, senor, of the best blood in the land. I thank you for remembering that truth, said Don Carlos, rising long enough to put one hand over his heart and bow. Everybody knows it, senor, and a vega, naturally, when he takes a mate, must seek out a woman of excellent blood. To be sure, Don Carlos exclaimed. You have an only daughter, the senorita Lolita. Ah, yes, indeed, senor. Lolita is eighteen now, and a beautiful and accomplished girl, if her father is the man to say it. I have observed her at the mission and at the pueblo, Don Diego said. She is indeed beautiful and I have heard that she is accomplished. Of her birth and breeding there can be no doubt. I think she would be a fit woman to preside over my household. Senor? That is the object of my visit today, senor. You? You are asking my permission to pay addresses to my fair daughter? I am, senor. Don Carlos' face beamed, and again he sprang from his chair, this time to bend forward and grasp Don Diego by the hand. "'She is a fair flower,' the father said. "'I would see her wed, and I have been to some anxiety about it, "'for I did not wish her to marry into a family that did not rank with mine. "'But there can be no question where a vega is concerned. "'You have my permission, senor.' "'Don Carlos was delighted. "'An alliance between his daughter and Don Diego Vega. "'His fortunes were retrieved the moment that was consummated. "'He would be important and powerful again. "'He called a native and sent for his wife.' and within a few minutes the Doña Catalina appeared on the veranda to greet the visitor, her face beaming, for she had been listening. Don Diego has done us the honor to request permission to pay his respects to our daughter, Don Carlos explained. You have given consent? Doña Catalina asked, for it would not do, of course, to jump for the man. I have given my consent, Don Carlos replied. Doña Catalina held out her hand, and Don Diego gave it a languid grasp, and then released it. "'Such an alliance would be a proud one,' Doña Catalina said. "'I hope that you may win her heart, senor.' "'As to that,' said Don Diego, "'I trust there will be no undue nonsense. "'Either the lady wants me and will have me, or she will not. "'Will I change her mind if I play a guitar beneath her window, "'or hold her hand when I may, "'or put my hand over my heart and sigh? "'I want her for wife.' "'else I would not have ridden here to ask her father for her.' "'I, I, of course,' said Don Carlos. "'Ah, senor, but a maid delights to be one,' said the Doña Catalina. "'It is her privilege, senor. "'The hours of courtship are held in memory during her lifetime. "'She remembers the pretty things her lover said, "'and the first kiss when they stood beside the stream "'and looked into each other's eyes, "'and when he showed sudden fear for her while they were riding.' "'and her horse bolted. "'Those kind of things, senor. "'It is like a little game, "'and it has been played since the beginning of time. "'Foolish, senor. "'Perhaps when a person looks at it with cold reason. 
but delightful, nevertheless. "'I don't know anything about it,' Don Diego protested. "'I never ran around making love to women. "'The woman you marry will not be sorry because of that, Signor. "'You think it is necessary for me to do these things?' "'Oh,' said Don Carlos, afraid of losing an influential son-in-law, "'a little bit would not hurt. "'A maid likes to be wooed, of course, even though she has made up her mind.' "'I have a servant who is a wonder at the guitar,' Don Diego said. "'Tonight I shall order him to come out and play beneath the senorita's window.' "'And not come yourself?' Doña Catalina gasped. "'Right out here again tonight, when the chill wind blows in from the sea?' gasped Don Diego. "'It would kill me, and the native plays the guitar better than I.' "'I've never heard of such a thing,' Doña Catalina gasped her sense of the fitness of things outraged. "'Let Don Diego do as he wills,' Don Carlos urged. "'I had thought,' said Don Diego, "'that you would arrange everything and then let me know. "'I would have my house put in order, of course, "'and get me more servants. "'Perhaps I should purchase a coach "'and drive with my bride as far as Santa Barbara "'and visit a friend there. "'Is it not possible for you to attend to everything else? "'Just merely send me word when the wedding is to be.' Don Carlos Pulido was nettled a little himself now. Caballero, he said, when I courted Doña Catalina, she kept me on needles and pins. One day she would frown, and the next day smile. It added a spice to the affair. I would not have had it different. You will regret it, senor, if you do not do your own courting. Would you like to see the senorita now? I suppose I must, Don Diego said. Doña Catalina threw up her head and went into the house to fetch the girl, and soon she came, a dainty little thing with black eyes that snapped, and black hair that was wound round her head in a great coil, and dainty little feet that peeped from beneath skirts of bright hue. "'I am happy to see you again, Don Diego,' she said. He bowed over her hand and assisted her to one of the chairs. "'You are as beautiful as you were when I saw you last,' he said. "'Always tell the senorita that she is more beautiful than when you saw her last,' groaned Don Carlos. "'Ah, that I were young again and could make love anew!' He excused himself and entered the house, and Doña Catalina moved to the other end of the veranda, so that the pair could talk without letting her hear the words, but from where she could watch, as a good dueña always must. "'Senorita,' Don Diego said, "'I have asked your father this morning "'for permission to seek you in marriage.' "'Oh, senor!' the girl gasped. "'Do you think I would make a proper husband?' "'Why, I, that is... "'Just say the word, senorita, "'and I shall tell my father, "'and your family will make arrangements for the ceremony. "'They could send word into me by some native. "'It fatigues me to ride abroad "'when it is not at all necessary.' Now the pretty eyes of the Senorita Lolita began flashing warning signals, but Don Diego, it was evident, did not see them, and so he rushed forward to his destruction. "'Shall you agree to becoming my wife, Senorita?' he asked, bending slightly toward her. Senorita Lolita's face burned red, and she sprang from her chair, her tiny fists clenched at her side. "'Don Diego Vega,' she replied, "'you are of a noble family, and have much wealth, "'and will inherit more. 
"'But you are lifeless, Signor. "'Is this your idea of courtship and romance? "'Can you not take the trouble to ride four miles on a smooth road "'to see the maid you would wed? "'What sort of blood is in your veins, Signor?' "'Dona Catalina heard that, "'and now she rushed across the veranda toward them, "'making signals to her daughter, "'which Signorita Lolita refused to see.' "'The man who weds me must woo me and win my love,' the girl went on. "'He must touch my heart. "'Think you that I am some bronze native wench to give myself to the first man who asks? "'The man who becomes my husband must be a man with life enough in him to want me. "'Send your servant to play a guitar beneath my window? "'Oh, I heard, Signor. "'Send him, Signor, and I'll throw boiling water upon him and bleach his red skin. "'Buenos dias, Signor.' She threw up her head proudly, lifted her silken skirts aside, and so passed him to enter the house, disregarding her mother also. Doña Catalina moaned once for her lost hopes. Don Diego Vega looked after the disappearing senorita, and scratched his head thoughtfully, and glanced toward his horse. "'I... I believe she's displeased with me,' he said, in his timid voice." Thanks for joining us for The Mark of Zorro, chapters 4 through 6, at 1001 Stories for the Road. If you're enjoying our story, please do send us a review, especially you Apple listeners. We appreciate reviews. We also appreciate your sharing our show with others. We've done a lot of great stories here at 1001 Stories for the Road, and all we ask is that sometime in the next month, you find a way to recommend 1001 Stories for the Road to a good friend or a relative, and get them started with us. We would appreciate that very much. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.